0: Last night I was kind of walking around because usually there's a sermon bumper right now. But we're not in a series today. Actually, what I'm going to be doing is introducing a series I'm going to begin two weeks from this weekend. But let me start by asking you a question. Does it ever leave you puzzled that people you know, people you love, continually make unhealthy choices, but they still expect to be healthy? I, I, I know you have a lot of you in the medical world, and you know about this. You know, you doctors and PAs and nurses. You you know there are people that come into the office and they expect to be healthy, but you know that they're in lifestyle choices that really keep them from being healthy. Psychologists knew about this. Well, our first inclination is to to believe that they can't connect the dots, that somehow they they can't merge the facts that they're making unhealthy choices with the fact that they're an unhealthy lifestyle. And there's something about us that wants to ask them, don't you understand that you were on a journey that led to this destination? So like I say, our first guess is to believe that they can't connect the dots. But 45 years of pastoring has taught me that I think it's something else. I think even though people may pretend not to know why their unhealthy choices are leading to an unhealthy situation, I think most people do know. I think they know. It's just that sometime back, they decided that what they need to do is too difficult, and they can't do it. I need to be in shape, but I I can't. Other people can, but I can't. I need to date the right kind of person, but I can't. I can't find the right kind of person, so I'm going to continually date people that are going to put me in a bad situation. I know that there are certain things that we could do to have a strong marriage, But we just really believe that we can't do those things. I I, I know that I need to have a healthier parenting relationship with my kids, but you just don't know my kids. I can't do it. But this message in the upcoming series is about another question, and that question is suppose there was a way to break free? What if it was possible to find the secret to a whole new way of living? What if there was a power? What if there was a force? What if there was an energy that could empower us to do what we worry is impossible? Well, the great news for us is that there is such a power. I'm going to introduce it today. And two weeks from now, we're going to start a series called Supernatural. And I love that particular, well, I picked it. No wonder I love it. But (laughs) it, it is super. It's a power that's beyond us, but it's also organic. And that's why we're calling this series Supernatural. We're going to emphasize marriage family, parenting, because this is the hardest area of life. But I want you to understand that what I'm going to share with you are principles. And these principles will work if you're single. These these principles will work with you and your friends, you and your colleagues at work. But again, we're going to focus on marriage, family, parenting, relationships. Well, I've got so much to show you, and over the next six weeks, we'll start unpacking this. But let me just make a start today with this first thought that I want all of us to grasp hold of, and that thought is you were never meant to live life by yourself. Now, I know instantly some people could say, well, Mark, you mean I need other people in my life. That's true, but it's not what I happen to mean by this particular comment. You were never meant to live life by yourself. Please listen to me you were never meant to have all the strength that you need in your life. You were never meant to have all the answers that you need in your life. And regardless of that seminar, that high-priced seminar that you went to where you work, you were never meant to have all the power needed to live your life. If you've ever given up, if you find yourself in the situation where you're in an unhealthy spot and you've really begin to wonder if it was possible for you to be healthy, either mentally or physically or in relationships, if you've given up, you probably feel like a failure. But I want to say to you, I'm not just blowing sunshine at you. You're not a failure. You were probably trying to do something by yourself that you were never meant to do by yourself. Okay, stay with me as I go into something kind of deep here. Have you ever heard... Of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit? In the Bible, we're introduced to God in the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But when we're introduced to God, as we turn the pages of the scripture, we learn that there is one God, but three persons. Now, here's the thing. We call that the Trinity. I don't think we can ever fully grasp this. I believe this to be true, but there's no way I can fully explain how God can be one person, one one God, but three persons. But one of the challenges that we have in understanding the Trinity is that we are made in God's image and not God made in our image. And so often we try to project onto God what we see in humanity. But the scriptures do tell us, the scriptures reveal to us that God is one God, but three persons, Now that begs a whole big discussion and perhaps we'll have it someday, but we do see that all three persons at times are active simultaneously. For instance, in the baptism of Jesus, you have Jesus being baptized, you have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and the father speaking from heaven. In the creation itself, in Genesis chapter one, in Genesis 126, God said, let us make man in our image. And the night of Jesus' arrest, I want you to listen because this is going to really be salient to our specific situation in a moment here. But the night of Jesus' arrest, the disciples are freaking out because Jesus has told them he's about to die and he's going to leave. Now, here's what he said. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Well, I want to slow down a little bit because if you're looking at the iMag, you're probably noticing that I have another in a particular color, and I have Advocate in a different color. Now, they're feeling like they're going to be left orphans, but Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter or another advocate. The word another there, well, there are two Greek words for another. Heteros, we got a word heterosexual from that, heterogeneous or heterogeneous. It means another of a different kind. The other Greek word for another is allos, which means another of the same kind. So Jesus said to the disciples, I'm, going to, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you another one who is just like me, another of the same kind. And then he said, I'm sending you another advocate. You may have a translation that says comforter. It comes from, and I'm sorry for the Greek. We'll get out of that real quickly here. I just want you to understand. It will send you another paraclete. Para means alongside. If you're paralegal, you, you work alongside an attorney. If you're a paramedic, you work alongside medical professionals, medical doctors. Well, a paraclete is one who is, the word kaleo means called to help, someone who is called to come alongside and help us. So Jesus said to the disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send you, give you, the Father will give you another comforter, who, another advocate who will never leave you. And then now verse 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he, and I'm going to slow down right now because this is a really important line, he lives with you now and later will be in you. Let's talk for a few moments about the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but his relationship with believers in the Old Testament is very different from our relationship with him today. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit would come upon men or women and equip them, that's important, equip them to do, well, impossible things. But the Holy Spirit in the old covenant could come, but then he might leave, as we see in the life of Saul. In fact, if you remember the story of King David after he slept with his next-door neighbor and had her husband killed, he is asking God for forgiveness, and one of the requests he asks is, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So the night of Jesus' arrest, at that particular time in history, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is with you right now, but later, he will be in you. Well, we know when that later was. It was on the day of Pentecost. Well, let's talk about the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll come back to to talking about him in just a moment. Let's take the family. Let's take marriage, parenting for a few moments. It is the hardest thing in life, I really believe. But in the book of Ephesians, chapter five, the Bible tells us what the model home is like, and Scripture is going to talk to husbands, wives, parents, and then early in chapter six, the chapter, Always remember the chapter breaks weren't put there by the Holy Spirit; they were added by men, eleven hundred years later. But again, you're going to have the responsibility, the primary responsibility of husbands, then of wives, and then parents and kids. Now there's a verb. That's assigned to each member of the family. Now, all four of these verbs could be given to everybody in the family, but the primary responsibility is given in, in this verb that's assigned to each member of the family. It starts with husbands. And the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives. Well, I know how men are. It's like, well, I got that covered, man. I gave my wife a card this morning. I'm a great lover. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute here. Because there are a couple of similes here that the Bible tells you how God wants you to love your wife. First of all, the Bible says, Love your wife as you love yourself. Well, God knows men. We all love ourselves. So, somebody can hear that today and you say, Mark, I got this down. I love my wife just like I love myself. Okay, I just want you to think about your shopping right now. I mean, just the stuff that you look at to buy you know, pickup trucks. Outboard motors, over and under shotguns. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. I can see you're sitting real stiff right now. (laughs) Now let me ask you a question: Do you do the equal amount of shopping for your wife? Well, I mean, that's a silly question, I guess, but the truth be told, we were to ask that question: do I love my wife, men? As I love myself. Well, somebody could say, Well, Mark, I really do believe, I really do believe I probably am pretty close to doing that. Well, then listen to the second simile. The Bible said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You want to know if you love your wife? By faith, take a look at Calvary. Take a look at the Son of God as he carries the cross on his back that's been opened by the whip. Take a look at him with the crown of thorns. Take a look at him as he lies down on the cross and allows them to nail nails into his hands and feet. i got to tell you guys, we're going to be stretching for that one the rest of our lives. So that's the first responsibility that we see in the family. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Obviously, wives are to love their husbands, and husbands are to respect their wives, but this is the primary responsibility given to wives. Wives, respect your husbands. You say, he doesn't deserve my respect. None of us does. The Bible doesn't say that the rest of the family deserves these actions. The Bible just says this is what Christ followers are to do. Kids, value your parents. And then parents, don't exasperate your kids. Somebody would say, somebody got that mixed up. Because it was supposed to be kids, don't exasperate your parents. And parents value, no, 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 no. The Bible says, parents, don't exasperate your kids. In other words, don't give them impossible situations. Don't make them feel like they're always going to be a loser. Sometimes it breaks my heart when I'm in a supermarket or something, and I hear the way parents are talking to their kids, like you always lose. You always do this. The Bible says, parents, don't exasperate your kids, but bring them up, not send them up. Bring them up. Does that sound hard? It's not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible by yourself. But you were never meant to do this by yourself. And make no mistake about it, if you try to do these things in your own strength, you will always fail. If you want to see something in the Bible that makes you feel a little better, in Luke 24, Jesus has already died on the cross and he has risen from the grave and he's leaving the disciples with last minute instructions. And we're sort of expecting Jesus to say, now guys, I've worked, you, I've worked with you for three and a half years. I mean, night and day, 365 days, 24-7, you've spent time with God himself. So, I'm leaving. Now, you guys go out and do what I You just go do what you saw me do. You guys are ready. Well, that's kind of what I expect, but now listen to what Jesus said. And now I will send the Holy Spirit upon you. Don't begin yet. Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and, listen, New Spring, fills you with power from heaven. In other words, Jesus was saying, you've been with me for three and a half years, but you're not ready yet. You're not ready to do this because you can't do this by yourself. You were never meant to do it by yourself. Well, you and I don't have to wait any longer because on the day of Pentecost, he came. And he's still here, and he will be here until the rapture, according to the word of God in 2 Thessalonians. And he's ready. Listen, please. Just please listen to me. He is ready to help you do the impossible. He is ready. I mean, just think about this. Imagine God inside you. When I was a kid growing up, you know, my parents couldn't explain the full girth of Scripture, so a lot of times, you know, they would give me simple things. Well, God is in heaven, and you're down here on the earth, and you can talk to God, you can pray. I always had kind of the idea that i got to throw my prayer all the way to heaven. (laughs) That God is so far away. But the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, is not only with you, he is inside of you. Now, just... See if you can wrap your mind around that a little bit. God inside. God inside of you. And the moment that we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, there's power like we've never dreamed. And so could I say to anyone here today, it's too early to give up. If you're about to give up, it could be that you've been trying to do this all by yourself. You were never meant to live your life in your own strength. You were never meant to live life alone. Every time I say this, I'm reminded of a story probably, I guess, about 20, 21, 22 years ago. In those days, we were on the radio. There was a daily broadcast, and it was from an archive sermon that I preached here at New Spring. And I got to tell you this, you can burn through a lot of sermons in 300, well, we, don't, we weren't on the weekends, but all the weekdays. And so I was always scrambling to get more and more material on the radio and I had done a series on the Holy Spirit and I'd said this very thing that I just said to you. You were never meant to live life by yourself. What I could have never known was there was a young businessman who was driving not far from the church, actually. He didn't know that he was close and he happened to turn on the radio and that sermon was on and he didn't know who the Holy Spirit was. He just knew I'd said, you can't live life by yourself. So he pulled over to the side of the road, and he called. He waited for the end of the broadcast. He thought, I'm going to find out where this church is. He thought it was someplace else in the country. To his amazement, it turned out it was right here in Wichita, and I think he was right over here where the target, the target wasn't there then, but right about where that target is on Grimmage. And he got the information called the church and got one of our receptionists, and he said, is this the church with the pastor who says you can't live life by yourself? And the receptionist said, well, it sounds like my pastor. He said, do you think he would talk to me? She said, I don't know. He's very busy. He's not on campus right now, but she said, I'll, I'll call him because he had let her know it was very serious. And fortunately, I happened to be right by the campus. And I said, yeah, i tell him I'll meet him at the church. And he sat down in my office, and he began to tell the story. He was 33 years old. He was an insurance executive. He only had to work six months out of the year. He had all the, he had all the perks in life. He had the boats. He had the houses. He, had, he let me know he had the women. And yet as he drove around that afternoon, he also had something, something else. He had a loaded 357 Magnum down by his feet. And he was driving out here. We, weren't, we were much more remote in those days. He was driving out here looking for a place where he could pull his car over to the side of the road and put a bullet in his brain and the only thing that stopped him was he happened isn't the holy spirit great he happened to be listening to the radio and he heard me say you can't live life by yourself And as I shared with him who Jesus was and what Jesus could do in his life, it wasn't long before he got on his knees and we knelt beside my coffee table and this, sh- this man gave his life to Christ and I baptized him a few weeks later. It wasn't long before he got transferred back to Illinois. Now in those days, I used to quote Lincoln all the time. I'd tell Lincoln stories, but after a while, I had so many gifts about Lincoln in my office. My office looked like a museum, so I don't tell as many of those quotes anymore. But the most priceless one that I have is an actual portrait of Lincoln that was done in the time frame. And this young man had gone to an auction. and He bought me a very expensive antique with Lincoln's picture, his portrait. And he had in his card, I want to leave this with you so that every time you look at it, you'll never forget the day a man called you and said, is this the pastor who said you can't live life by yourself? You can't, you know. Okay. I need to land this plane. In two weeks, we'll start talking about how this power works. But someone with my personality is asking the question, how does this work practically? I mean, Mark, you've said there's a power that is amazing. How do I tap into that power? How does it work practically? Drumroll. Locked away in the little book of Galatians is a world-shaking, life-changing line. And I know somebody could be here on Mother's Day and say, Mark, I'm not a Christ follower. I'm not sure I believe in Jesus. I'm not sure I even believe in God. Well, first of all, thank you for being here. But but hang with me because here's the deal. You have the opportunity to get on the ground floor, and Christians are not ahead of you because most Christians don't even know how this works. That's even in the Bible. So here we go. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible says whatever man, and that's a generic term for mankind, whatever man, whatever woman sows, that and only that is what he or she will reap. Now, we know that's in the Bible, but I want you to look at this next line. For he who sows to his own flesh, and I'm reading on the Amplified right now, that's the lower nature, the sensuality. He who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap, hello, decay, ruin, and destruction. By the way, we're talking about a Christian here. Now look at this. He who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And the word eternal there in that particular context also refers to the quality of life. Now, what are we talking about with the flesh and the spirit here? Okay. If you're a Christ follower, you have two operating systems inside of you going on at the same time. And scripture talks about that all the time. It talks about the flesh and the spirit, flesh and the spirit. What is the flesh? not your skin. The flesh is the nature that we inherited from our first parent, Adam. It is the part of us that was fouled up by sin in the Garden of Eden, and we've inherited. It is the part of us that's predisposed toward doing the wrong thing. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to do the wrong thing than the right thing? That is because we have a nature that is tilted toward doing the wrong thing. It's why you don't have to teach your kids to lie. It's why you don't have to say to them, look, when you get into trouble, you know what, there could be ramifications, there could be problems from that, So here's what you need to do. Just say that you didn't do it. You don't have to do that, do you? It's natural. Well, every one of us has that. But the moment you got saved, you didn't lose that old operating system. You just got a new one. And the new operating system is the person of the Holy Spirit who actually comes in to live inside of you. But from that point on, until Jesus calls us in the rapture or until we die, we have this head-button battle going on inside of us. And don't you feel that if you're a Christ follower? I mean, this is how King David could write the 23rd Psalm and then how he could sleep with his next door neighbor and have her husband killed because he had these two operating systems going on in his life. And I'm guessing that some of us know what that's about because we have a side of us that loves God and loves to worship, loves to learn about God, but there's also a side of us that leaves us scratching our heads and we ask ourselves sometimes, how could I be a Christian and still keep doing those things? Well, that's where we are right now. The moment you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in. God, not just in heaven, but God in you. But you don't lose that old nature. So let's go back to the verse we looked at a few moments ago. The Bible says, the one who sows to the flesh will reap death, decay, ruin, and destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap not only everlasting life, but a high quality of life. I'm going to share with you one of the most important things I've ever said on this stage because it is the key to a whole new way of living. And like I say, I don't think most Christians know about this yet. When the Bible says sowing, what's it talking about? It's not talking about planting wheat. Every day of our life, we are planting seeds. And here's what we need to learn, and you'll hear me say this over and over and over in this series. Every thought you think, every word you say, every attitude that you hold, every action you perform is a seed. Now, in in 21st century America, we're told to live in the moment. Now, there's an appropriate application of that. If if people are talking about paying attention to what's going on in the world at this moment, that's a fair thing. But I think a lot of Americans, living in the moment means I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing and that moment is going to pass. That is not true. Every thought I think is a seed. It's going to come up. Every attitude I hold is a seed. It's going to come up someday. Every word I say, Lord knows, is a seed. And just when the echo of that word dies down, and there are guys like, Well, my wife got, she was okay with that. It's a seed. Everything I do is a seed. And we'll we'll see it again. And only will we see it again. We'll see it multiplied. And here's the key. We're either going to invest that seed in our old nature. Or we're going to invest that seed. And this is what's really exciting to me. It's not just that we're investing in a new nature. We're actually investing that seed in a person. We're investing that seed in God. In the Holy Spirit. But if I think thoughts and say words, if I have attitudes in which I'm dropping that seed into my old nature, it's going to come up death, decay, and destruction. But if, on the other hand, I sow a seed, and by the way, I cannot wait to bring a talk called the Jesus seeds. If I sow seeds, uh, the Jesus seeds, in my marriage, in my life, in my family, I'm actually sowing to the Holy Spirit and I'll reap a harvest of life. Well, it's time for me to quit. I don't counsel anymore. I haven't for 12 years. Jonathan and Wendy lead that ministry. They're far more gifted and able than I. But for many years here at New Spring, I counseled by hundreds of hours. And a lot of times I was counseling husbands and wives who were not in a good place. And it was a strange thing because oftentimes, you know, they would, they would talk to each other like they hate each other. And yet, the more I learned about them individually, I thought, these are wonderful people. And I remember, and they might not put it exactly in this, in this language, but if I would talk to them about what went wrong, sooner or later, the man was going to say something to me along the lines of, I guess I just married the wrong person. Or a woman was going to say, I just married the wrong guy. Now, in the essence of full disclosure, that's sometimes the case. But Far more times, I didn't feel like they married the wrong person. They were just having a bad harvest. They were having a bad harvest. One or both of them had been dropping seeds to the flesh. And now... Two of the greatest people in the world were feeling like they married the wrong person. I mean, I've had people that told me somehow I got the wrong kids. (laughs) They just messed us up at the hospital, (laughs) and a lot of parent-kid relationships—they're having a bad harvest. My life today is a snapshot of the seeds that I planted yesterday. Or, and I understand, sometimes it's a snapshot of seeds that others have planted. And somebody could say, Mark, I didn't plant, I've got a bad harvest, but I didn't plant the seeds. I get that. But we can control what we can control, can't we? I mean, after all, we're working with God here. We're working with the Holy Spirit. Well, as I said, I, I think I have five minutes left, okay? Is that okay? How do we start? Because somebody could say, well, Mark, how does this work? Come back the next six weeks after we start the series, I'll tell you. But I, I want to send you out with some homework because I want to give you four things real quickly. What can we do if we want to have a new harvest? First of all, buy in. Don't toy with this concept. Imagine having God inside of you. Buy into the scriptures that say, if I sow to my old nature, I'm going to get death, ruin, and destruction. If I sow to the Holy Spirit, I'm actually planting these seeds in God, and I'm going to have a great harvest. Buy into this. Don't toy with it. Number two, stop dropping bad seed. I mean, you know, if you're you're dropping words of anger and if you're bombing your family with F-bomb, Stop dropping bad seed. This is not genius stuff here. If we're acting selfishly, stop dropping bad seed. I've had people, I've had Christians tell me, I know I have a bad attitude, but that's just who I am. Well, guess what you're going to have come up? Stop dropping bad seed. Three, and you, you knew this was coming. Start dropping good seed. But the fourth thing is really important. When you switch seeds, don't forget you're still in a troubled harvest. Hang on until the new seeds start coming up. I say that because I know how some of you guys are. You're like, Mark, I got this. I got this. I'm going to stop dropping bad seed. I'm going to start dropping good seed. Six o'clock tonight, I'm going to have perfect marriage. Well. always remember that. You know what I'm saying, right? If you're in a bad harvest right now, start dropping good seeds, stop stop dropping the bad seed. It's going to take a while for that to change. Just hang on. This is where faith comes in. But I will say this, 37 years of pastoring our church and watching people's lives, it is always amazing to me how much faster this works than we think it's going to work. I mean, we decide to stop doing things the way of the world and we start doing things God's way. I mean, yes, it's going to take some time and sure you can't control what your husband does or wife does or kids do. But I'm always amazed at how fast it works. I remember um, the most toxic couple I ever counseled. Again, this was probably 20 years ago. And by the way, Most of the time when people are coming in to talk to the pastor, they're they're on their best behavior, you know. This couple wasn't. (laughs) I had a couch across from my chair, and she came in and sat as far on that side of the couch as she could. He sat as far on this side of the couch as he could, and then they turned away from each other. I don't think I had arms on the couch. I mean, they—they—they they, they got to where they could just sit. I mean, and I'm sitting here in the middle, and they would talk to each other, and I felt like I was at Wimbledon, you know. Just. <laughs> I have never heard people talk as horribly to each other as this couple did in my presence, and they had come to me to counsel, and they'd explained to me they were on their way to talk to their lawyers. And they were going to end this thing, but before they did, they were going to come talk to me. Well, I I mean, let me put yourself in my place. What are you going to tell them? I never said I was good at counseling. I just did a lot of it. (laughs) And you'll know how bad I was because I sat there and looked at both of them and said, you know, I don't think you have a snowball's chance. But I said, God is very powerful and I said, I want to give you a series. Well, that was about 250 series ago. And I gave them a series of messages that I brought. This will date it. They were cassettes. (laughs) I gave them a series called Building Your House on the Rock that I preached in 1992. And I said, I don't think you have a chance. But I said, if you do have a chance, here's what I would advise. Because I knew counseling right then wasn't going to do anything. I said, I want you to go home and every morning at breakfast, I want you to listen to one of these sermons together. I didn't think they would do it. Well, we were a lot smaller as a church even though we were in this auditorium. We were probably about one-sixth of our size. In those days, we had altar calls because we, we, we weren't so packed together. And in those days, we had a, an altar. We didn't have these front seats here, so there was an altar that cascaded down from the stage steps. And at the end of the service, I would bring a message, and I would, after I brought a message, I would invite people to come forward if they wanted to pray and make a decision. So I finished the message, and I was standing right here in the middle, and I was looking out over the audience. And you know how your peripheral vision works? I saw something over here, right over there. There were steps there. I saw something over here that caught my attention. There was a man, and there was a woman, but they weren't kneeling at the altar. They were lying on the altar in each other's arms. And I looked down, it was that same couple. And God began to work in their lives and marriage. They became very faithful members of New Spring. And in years, he was a very successful businessman. He transferred his business to Texas, and I would get cards from them for years and years. It isn't rocket science. It's faith. And it's a matter of just doing things God's way. And it's super natural. And it works. If anybody here is ready to give up, you're giving up too quickly. You have God living inside of you. You say, Mark, I'm not sure I have God living inside of me. Do you know it's as simple as asking him to come in? In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus put it this way. Jesus, he said, I'm standing at the door knocking. And if anybody opens the door, I will come in. And that offer's on the table today. You say, Well, Mark, I'm not sure I'm a religious person. I'm not asking you to be religious. The Bible is not about a religion, it's about a relationship between you and your Creator. God loves you. He knows the number of hairs on your head, He knows what's going on inside it. And see, here's the deal. God made a way for you to go to heaven that was the price that your admission's been paid for. Jesus Christ, God's son, came into our world, ran the table, lived a perfect life for 33 years, laid down on a Roman cross the way God saw it. His blood paid for every sin that you and I have ever committed so that God could put the offer on the table and say, come like you are, declare spiritual bankruptcy, and invite Jesus to come in. And you won't ever have to live life by yourself again. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. These aren't magic words. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you want to pray with me, you can. Let's all bow our heads for just a moment. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry. I can't save myself. But I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And because Jesus is alive, I want him to be my Savior and my King. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, now you may be in North Auditorium. You may be in South. You may be watching online. I have a gift I want to give you, and anybody can get it. If you just pray with me, it's got a New Spring Bible, just like the one I preach from. A little book that I wrote that will answer a lot of questions called My New Walk with God. There's a journal in here and there's some coupons. Free. will not cost you anything. All you have to do to get it is take your smartphone and text the word prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000. If you're on campus, you can get it right now. Just go to any of the info centers. You'll see them whoops, by this color and they'll have this box ready for you. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Mother's Day.